0: Hello, and welcome to Story of the Book, where middle grade YA and picture book authors tell the stories of their books from beginning to end. I'm Haley Chewins. I write books about magical girls with secrets. And I'm Lindsay Eager. I write books about growing
1: up in this weird, wondrous world. And we're so very happy to have you here. Let's get started.
0: Okay. Hi, Axie. Welcome to Story of the Book. Hi Haley, hi Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, we're so excited to have you here. We're so excited to talk about The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea. Just before we get started, would you mind just telling us a little bit about what this beautiful book is about?
2: Yes, Um, so Girl is about, is a YA fantasy reimagining of a Korean folktale called The Tale of Shincheong and it's about a a 16-year-old girl whose land is cursed by the storm sent by the sea god and she has to journey to the spirit realm in order to figure out what's going on and save her people and figure out um, what's plaguing the sea god.
0: Where did you get the idea for this book or what was like the first seed? Where did it begin for you?
2: Yeah it actually began um, as a short story prompt. There's this great um, blog called the book smugglers you ever heard of them they're so great yeah I got a prompt back out in like I don't remember 2014 I guess where they were asking for their little publishing Uh, I think it was like they they publish stuff I don't remember but um, they were asking for folktale retellings from non-western cultures and I was like oh that's so cool Um, that's something that I would be interested in so um i like thought to myself like wh- if i was going to retell a story what would it be and this story made the most sense to tell him just because it's probably one of the most famous korean folk tales and i had a picture of, book about it when i was younger and i just very familiar with the folk tale like of all the folk tales i don't know a lot of korean folk tales but this was well, the one that i knew the most about so i was like okay i could try doing that and also it had like a lot of beautiful imagery like the original folk tale is uh Shintong gets sacrificed to the sea and so there's like a lot of like you know um sh- like there's a there's a dragon in the folktale there's lotus flowers there's just so much beautiful imagery in the original folktale mm-hmm. like, there's a lot to work with here so when I did my I started the short story I, I realized it wasn't a short story it was a whole book <laughs> yeah and I was like oh wait I'm just gonna write a whole book I'm gonna write a whole YA fantasy novel um based off this this retelling in the vein of, like, my favorite uh, fairy tales, like Elle Enchanted, Beauty by Robin McKinley. I was very influenced. I, like, that's my favorite genre growing up, is, like, specifically YA uh, fantasy retellings, Um, and so I was, like, okay, I'm gonna do something in a similar vein, but like a Korean myth retelling. I'm
1: curious about... um how you knew it was bigger than a short story. Like at what point you were like, oh, this is no longer just an answer to a prompt for a short story. This is something else completely.
2: Yeah. um, I think because I wrote the first chapter and it was like (laughs) 2000 words or something. And I was like, okay, well, we're ready. We're ready toward that for short Short story um, uh, limit. Um, But definitely the first chapter sort of, it was like one of those magical moments when I just sat down one night and it just like came out of me. Like in the the um, final draft of the first chapter, is mostly unchanged. There's there's some change wow. yeah, there's some changes. There's, ac- it was, there's actually a change where it, like it drastically changed and then it reverted back to what it is. <laughs> um, but it mostly remained unchanged and it was just like a sort of that like, sort of um that writerly moment where you're like so inspired and it all comes out and you're like I love this so much. Um, and for a long time that was the only chapter that I had written of the book for like months. <laughs> and then I finally and then I returned to the book and wrote the whole thing later. Um, but hmm. yeah, yeah, that's also, also part of the publication journey. I'll talk about it later because I remember mm. I remember uh, seeing my agent in person pitching her Rebel Soul, my debut, and and then being like, but I'm also working on this other book, which I just started, her being really excited about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it was a combination of, I had written the first chapter and it was just so long. <laughs> and also mm-hmm. I had all these ideas, like I had an idea for the ending and I was like, the impact of this ending would only work if there was a whole book
0: so you wrote Rebel Soul and then you got, did you get published before you had an agent Uh, and then you queried Girl or?
2: Yeah. Let me think. It's been a while. (laughs) So Rebel Soul came out out in 2017. So Rebel Soul was uh, a new, so by publisher for Rebel Soul is called Two Books, which is an imprint of Lee and Lo books. And every Mm -hmm. year, They have um, what they call the New Visions Award, where they award an unpublished, unagented author of color, Mm -hmm. a publishing contract based on like, um, I think the first, like the synopsis. And then if you get past the first, I mean, the first 50 pages, you get past the first round and the full book, right? So it's
1: like
2: stages. Yeah. So I actually entered that contest with Mm -hmm. Rebel Soul in, I think, 2014. Uh, but I was still querying it. I was still, like, querying it. Um, but then it won that contest in 2015. Um, right, okay. Yeah. So, like, and then, like, obviously, we were like, okay, oh, then we'll publish it two years later. And I was like, oh, is that how publishing works? Wow, I'm social on time. But, yeah, that was the situation. And then, so after Rebel Soul, I, while I was querying Rebel Souls, when I started drafting what would eventually be The Girl with the Sea.
0: So you write this first chapter, it's like this magical kind of falling in love experience, um, which is like, hands down, probably the best, one of the best writer feelings to have. Um, And, and so you write this beautiful first chapter, and then you kind of, you said you kind of left it for a little while. At what point did you decide to come back to it? And then what was the drafting process like?
2: Yeah, um, I, it was like a very, uh, it was, it was definitely a pantsed book, like between pantsing and outlining. It was very like, um, I was like, ah, writing. And I was very like, as I was writing, elements of the plot, elements of the book surprised me. Like they weren't, they weren't um, ever plotted out. I think like the, bi- the big main twist, I always knew, but it's like a guessable plot twist <laughs> in my opinion. But there were some that, some like twists that like surprised even me. Like I didn't know that it was going to happen. Uh, and a lot of the elements, the story elements, as they, I wrote them, they just like came as I was writing them because I, need, like, I needed a villain. So I created a villain. I needed adversaries. So I created adversaries, side characters. They just kind of came to me. Um, but yeah, so the drafting process was pretty chaotic, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and it didn't take that long. I think I actually submitted the first chapter to my MFA program. Um because I wanted to go to graduate school, and I went to Lesley University um, from 2015-2017, so I submitted it, uh, the first chapter, to my MFA program, and I worked on it, Um, like, the first couple of chapters with my mentor, and then, like, the MFA program, if, like, they, they're kind of, um, you work on a couple, like you don't finish, you usually people don't just sit down and write the whole book, but I was so excited about the book that summer that I just sat down. I wrote the entire book. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I worked on like the first couple chapters, like a ton of times with my mentor. And then I, that summer I just wrote the entire book because I just was like, so swept away by, I loved it so much. Um, and then without telling anyone is the one I queried, (laughs) I queried while I was in my, my MFA program, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so it was just, it was very just a moment of being like, just so in love with the book and just having a fun time and feeling like it, like I call this bu- the book of my heart because it just filled with everything I love, um, so much of my culture, but also influenced by so many things I love, like Hayao Miyazaki, mm-hmm. we we're talking about those older fairy tales, like um, Juliette Morelliera, those sort of older fairy tales I really loved. Um, and I just like had so much fun. <laughs> and then it's also sort of like the actual drafting process was a dream. And even the querying process was a dream. It got more bogged down during the sub process, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, mm. But all the whole actual drafting and querying was like everything you would hope for. Um, and it wasn't my first querying experience, it was my third. So
1: I wanna ask you I wanna go back and um, ask you about writing fairy tale retellings. Mm. Um, I love fairy tale retellings too and myth retellings. Um, and I love how every author, or every, I guess every retelling falls on this spectrum of like being extremely true to it or taking just an idea or like a motif from it and twisting it completely. Um, and uh, like as a writer, it's nice to have a framework that you're kind of following along, but also it's nice to know that you can deviate from that whenever you want, because it's your own, like, it's the perfect, it's the perfect setup for like somebody who, doesn't love plotting, but also and like needs something to kind of like cling to, like, oh, I'm just doing like I I just need to follow the the folktale along. Um, but but you also know that you can jump off at any point and make it your own. So will you talk just a little bit about like maybe talk more about some of your favorite retellings and why and and where they fall on that spectrum? And then like, were you planning to tell it in your own way all along? Or were you like, nope, I'm gonna do it beat by beat? Or Yeah, just like talk about retellings because it's it's um it's a very special kind of story to take Mm -hmm. for a a writer or creator to take a really old familiar story and then claim it as your own. And it's it's like a it's like a fun
2: collage almost. Yeah. (laughs) Like Wildwood Dancing by Juliet Merlier. It's a beautiful novel. I would say that's very different than the original folk tale. That I feel like takes a bunch of different like the main Book told, she's retelling, I guess, is the frog prince. Um, but there's a bunch of them. There's like the Shigley for the fairy kingdom. There's like a lot of uh um fae, uh myths in there, um a lot of different like story elements, like 12 dancing princesses, like a big yeah, elephant. That's there. what I
1: was thinking too. Yeah. And I remember reading that and not knowing that it was a 12 dancing princesses retelling or like inspired yeah. by that, and t- and and then realizing like, oh yeah, like it's all there. I just yeah. had no idea.
2: Yeah. Um yeah, I love, I love, I like, that's my, probably my favorite Julia Merlier book. And that's a YA um, compared to Daughter of the Forest, which is adult in the Six Swans retelling, um, which also I, which I think is actually probably closer to the original in spirit. Because it's very, the whole point of the book is her saving her brothers who turned to swans. Well, I feel like while dancing, like the, the fairy tales, augmented a different story about the family of the sisters. Um, so I think if, if I was comparing my book to those books, it would be, it would be more of a Wildwood dancing just because um, I was taking the original folk tale as inspiration and it, there's elements in the original folk tale, the tale of Shim Chung in my book but the main character is not Shim Chung. The main character is original character that I made up. And the reason I did that is because um, the Shim Chung tale is an oral tale. It's not very long. Um, there's only so many plot elements in the actual folktale. So I need I wanted more, you know, I wanted to pay homage to that folktale and have it this elements in there, like um, the lotus flower symbolism, the Shim Chong herself in there, like her whole the whole point of that folktale is filial piety, because it came out of Confucianism. So it's all about like a filial daughter. So it's all about a daughter sacrificing herself for her father. Um, And I obviously didn't necessarily want that to be the plot of my book, but I wanted to honor that because um, there is a love there between father and daughter, which I think is very special and important. So I've had that in there um, between Michelle Chung and her father, but that wasn't the main focus. The main focus was my main character's journey. So I think it just gave me a lot more freedom not to stick to the original folktale too much, but honor the folktale by having these characters in it, having the elements in it. And also I retell the folktale in the book, mm-hmm. which is very meta. <laughs> yes, yeah, it <laughs> is. I love that. <laughs> um, but I, I love was like, that oh, too. I knew a lot of readers wouldn't know the folk tale, so I was like, okay, I want you to know the folk tale, So i have Mina, my main character, tell the folktale in the in the story. And she also tells other folktales yeah. that are real Korean folktales. Um, but like with a twist, because I didn't want to like, I changed some stuff because it's for, I know it's for a modern audience. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that's kind of how I went about it. Yeah, more, I I think it's more of a reimagining or inspired by Shim Chung more than a straight up retelling. But if it's going to be in that retelling genre, I don't think that's bad either. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's more like you're taking elements from Korean folklore. Like I love the red string of fate. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, It's such a beautiful image. And so you're taking that and then kind of spinning a whole new story around it or using it in your story, but it's not necessarily- the original story that that
2: would have been in yes exactly yeah.
1: okay cool. i love that you um pointed out too that your your audience is a modern audience mm-hmm. um mm-hmm.
2: which i feel and like an american is, audience and an american audience. Western yeah. audience right Speaking, right. yeah
1: yeah which i think is important um as a writer but also as a reader or like a consumer of past fairy tale like i just was thinking about you know the the maybe this is more of like a personal like Mm -hmm. pet peeve but um all of the sort of like the feminist um this sounds like I'm like wagging my finger at feminism I am not that's not what I'm doing but the the feminist um criticism or like looking through this very um, 2022 feminist lens at past Disney movies like Little Mermaid um, or Sleeping Beauty and saying like, she gives up her voice for a man that's not feminist or she falls asleep and is asleep and barely talks and is barely active in the movie. like sometimes I have to just be like, oh, but it was for a 1950s audience, not a 2022 audience. And, yeah. and certainly criticism is valid of uh, like, we should be able to look at what's on the page or on the screen without having to put it in historical context and just look at what is there. And that is for sure important, but it's also, I don't know. I just think it's interesting, uh, like to, to consider a folktale or a fairy tale within the time or or a retelling Mm -hmm. within the the context of when it was written, because while it may be like, Ooh, like we don't like beauty and the beast, like not the greatest message maybe for young women to hear that they can tame this horrible beast (laughs) to make their, you know, or whatever. But, (laughs) but within the context of, of when they're told or, or when they're being retold, um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. So I just, I really like that you, it sounds like you were intentional about like, nope, this is going to be, I'm not trying to span thousands of years of readership and say, this is now universal for everyone for the last 2000 years, or, or I don't know how old the, the folktale is in particular, but, or, or, you know, however long, um, but you were able to, I, I think there's a freedom in saying, nope, this is intended for readers circa 2022. And um, and so that's who I'm writing for. Do you do that like regularly as a writer? Like, are you aware not of like your readers individually, but like, are you aware of that kind of context for your work? Yeah.
2: We can think to ourselves that we're just writing without any, without thinking of the reader, without thinking of anything, but our, I guess internal book or whatever. Um, but you know, you're writing in a modern context. You're writing with, with, with readers who want to feel safe in your story, and if there if there are elements in the story that are maybe older elements, like for example, the tale of Chim Chung is very. And there's an ableist element to it because in the original tale, the father um, is quote unquote cured of blindness at the end of the book or end of the story, and I was like, I'm not putting that in. That's super ableist. So in the original folk tale, Chim Chung sacrifices herself for the sea to the sea god the sea god rewards her for being such a good daughter and so um when she goes back up in a lotus flower the sea the sea god sends her back up in the lotus flower rewarding her for her filial piety um it blooms in the court of the emperor the emperor falls in love with her but this whole time she's been away her like blind father has been looking for her he can't find her anywhere um and then so the emperor has a party where it's like he invites all of the blind people in the kingdom and then um the father shows up to the party and he uh it, he after like realizing it's his daughter, he cries and then his blindness is like quote unquote cured, right? So that's the original folktale. And I was like, why? Like what was why, do, why does it have to be a part of it? Why does he need to see her, right? There's no reason, right? Um, the love is there, That's not. there's nothing wrong with that, right? So in my original folk tale, or in my folk tale retelling, I just took, completely took that out. <laughs> it's like, that's, there's no reason that, for that to be there. And so they're reunited, it's like a happy ending, and it's exactly the original folk tale, in my opinion. Um, so there are elements like that where it's like, I just want the reader to feel safe in the story, and I never want anyone to feel like they don't belong in this story. Um, so yeah. it's like that when you writing, when I, when I write for a modern audience, I'm thinking of that, like allowing for mm-hmm. queerness rights, queer spaces in the story. That's like a historical Korean fantasy allowing for, um, things mm-hmm. that maybe weren't prioritized by Confucianism <laughs> is what I'm saying.
0: How long did it take you to get the manuscript to a point where you could query it? And then also what was that? Like, how does your, what does your revision process look like?
2: So for girls, a little different because it was sort of that thing where I was like, I wrote the whole book and I was like, it's perfect. And then I immediately queried.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that.
2: <laughs> so that's a lot. Of how now. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, now what I do you know, with like all my books since then is I'll write the whole book mm-hmm. and then um, I will go through and revise it a couple of times Um and also show it to like a critique partner and they'll give me notes and I'll revise it again. And then I'll, and I'll show it to my agent. I don't show her, I don't show my agent a perfect draft. I show her like the same draft, I'll show my critique partners and I'll get notes from both of them at the same time. And then I'll revise um, and then that'll be done. Uh, Well, you know but to my best ability. <laughs> so, and my revising is very um, top to bottom. I do, well. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll revise from the beginning to the end, like over and over and over again. So I don't mm-hmm. do, I know some people do like, we're going to do a character revision. We're going to yeah. do plot revision. We're going to do theme revision. I don't do that. I just do like the whole thing <laughs> at one time, every single time. Um, and I do a thing where it's, so I draft in single space and revise in double space. So it looks different to me. And then mm-hmm. um, I draft, I revise the track changes on. So I can see all my changes. And then um, I will go, I will go in passes where it's like, so like all the red that's in the because I revised it will be track changes. And then I'll like accept what I like, it'll still be red. And it'll continue and continue and continue until the entire doc is not red anymore. Um, like it's like a, you can just read it without any red track changes, and that's when I know it's like ready to show someone. So that's sort of how I revise now. And I do that just so that um it forces me to reread everything <laughs> and not skim over anything because I I will do that. Um, can I pause and just ask you, how on. do you how do you organize
1: you what you're going to change before you get started? Like, do you have a process for like when you finish a draft, maybe you've already gotten notes or maybe you like know the draft needs you know these things need to be changed uh-huh. do you do you write things down and make a plan so that as you're going through the book you know starting with page one you have like a list of things to change or are you just going through by feeling and reading it and being like oh, this doesn't feel right like how yeah. do you yeah how, how do you organize things beforehand
2: i am not organized <laughs>
1: there you go okay how do you how do you I don't know like what's your what's your unorganized method then
2: yeah um I definitely do of the of those two I do the latter which is I will write it in based on feeling and then when I get to a point where like I'm not sure about this I'll put it on a list um for the next draft I guess um so I'll be I'll be revising and I'll be like this part you know let's go back to this because I totally didn't set this up and I'll put that to the side to be like okay I have to like set this up and I'll go back to where it needs to be set up so I will jump around and when when it's that case I'll be like okay so I have to set up this I don't know this reveal so I'll go back and put it in even like really roughly because I'll be like okay my next revision round I'll smooth that over so I'll just put something in um even if it's like super rough because I'll just be like okay I know it's supposed to go here somewhere so I'll just put it in the chapter and then thinking to myself I'll go back and smooth it over and you know if I have to change if I move it again I'll move it again um so it's very like that it's like very it's very like um I'm also this I'm better at this now But before, I used to be like, I have to love every single sentence. Every sentence has to be perfect, right, in my mind, which is so, like, (laughs) not good. (laughs) Nothing's ever perfect. Um, But that's how I used to be. Now I'm very, like, I'll just write it and then um, just try to get the words down because you can't, you know, you can't revise something you don't have, right? So I will write now and then I'll go back and be, like, sometimes I'll be, like, this the whole thing I wrote was just a placeholder placeholder where it's just like he walked over here and then she walked and joined him. They walked together and then they sat down. And I was like, what? That's like, what? And then I'll be like, okay, I know that's what they need to be walking, I guess. And then I'll make it more like they're doing things, but more like actual stuff in there. Um, But I will now, I will draft with a lot of placeholders in mind. Like it'll be drafted, like there will be words down, but I know I'll change them because there's no they're just not there yet and I'm fine with that I used to not be fine with that
0: I relate to that a lot and also <laughs> was, to, to being say, completely that sounds disorganized like <laughs> yeah
1: I, no, with, I the, with the like I perfect have, sentences and yeah. like finagling no with exactly them. That's so you. every
0: sentence has to be perfect and <laughs> it's so stressful <laughs> it's so stressful when I when I do like line edits I'm I get really fix. I can fixate on mm-hmm. one sentence and just read the same sentence like a hundred times. And, yeah. um, but yeah, also to the, the revision process being disorganized. Cause I just, I don't have a plan. I just like throw myself yeah. in and see yeah. what happens. Um, and just trust that by draft 45, you yeah. know, it will be better.
2: <laughs> That's also my, modus operandi I'm like I'm sorry I wish I had a better I have friends who like do like excel outlines and they show like this is why I'm. and I'm like "Mm, I wish I could do that (laughs) yeah what do you do Lindsay what's your
0: are you super organized
1: I mean I get super organized I've realized now that like a lot of my pre-drafting and pre-revision organizing and outlining and stuff is really just rumination because I end up throwing it out anyway. (laughs) so it's really um but i i'm much more like if i get to when i get to the end of a draft and my drafts are so messy and so full of placeholders so like there's no perfect sentences um uh but when i get when i'm ready to revise i'm like a okay let's how can we burn this completely down and start over like how can i change so much of it that it's like plot wise um that it's unrecognizable So going through and starting with page one and going page by page would not work for me because it's much more of a, okay, I I wrote the first, I made the first draft and it's more of a rendering and now I need to go through, or it's like stage blocking almost. Mm. Uh, My whole draft is like a placeholder (laughs) almost, but because, because um, in a revision, I feel like I have to do so much more plot revision than anything else. And it's hard for me to start on page one, knowing I have to do plot revision stuff, like moving big heavy storytelling items without some sort of key or like bird's eye view of what the hell I'm doing. So um so I, I usually do have to like I re outline the book that I wrote. Um and then kind of try to re out like outline what I want it to become mm-hmm. in the end and then try Everybody, to yeah. yeah. Um I'm very I'm a post its person. So I can put them on my wall and rearrange them and move them in order and take them down and put up new ones without feeling like I feeling like it was a huge dramatic thing. So, so that wouldn't work for me, but I also, I'm not, I do not have an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet. That's not, You're not on the other extreme. <laughs> nope. 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 Yeah. Nope. Because I'm yeah. allergic to excel like (laughs) spreadsheets like anything on a screen like that it's all like messy post-its but um but different than how you guys revise i think definitely Mm. much less intuitive when i get to the revision process and much more and i i do know now from my most recent revision i need to stop at about every third like so one third of the way in and then again at two thirds um and sort of re-outline
2: based mm. on what I have so
1: far and what I know I have coming up. And that's a full reoutline, pretending as if I haven't already revised or written the first third, like pretend like I'm starting over because I forget even like what I just wrote 30 pages mm. ago. It's ridiculous. But that's mm-hmm. that's me. So I'm um actually I'm guessing you do most of your work not by hand, but on do you use scrivener or word or um are you like a word processor
2: yeah, I'm, kind of person? If- and one thousand percent, just word. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. Like having a thousand Word docs open. Okay. That and then, like, think <laughs> like the moment where, like, oh no, they're not saving. It's gonna crash, and having that, like, oh no, I should have saved. I have that, like, at least twice a year. Oh man. So, like, like three <laughs> Word doc
1: opens. Open Word What's docs it- open, or like twelve, or like twenty.
2: It can it it can range from okay.
1: <laughs> I've wow. Had 20,
2: I've had twenty open before. Yes. And Whoa, some, of like, um, some of them are like, some of them are on, um, they're not named so like I, right <sighs> now I have document five, document four, document seven open, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they're saved. You just haven't named them.
2: No, they're not, no, they're saved. not saved. Oh man. But they're not were... like, they're not like, they're like, um, like, for example, I just opened one. And it's like just stuff I cut. So they're okay. Like- Okay. Yeah, and then if I save it, I'll save it as like takeouts number 58. And then, right. <laughs> I'll, and then I'll never look at it again. You know, sure. kind of stuff, yeah. I you also do that. It. I
0: always yeah. like, I always have just in case, you know, if I need to cut something, I always think, well, what if I need it in the future? Yeah. So I'll put it in this word doc. You literally never need it in the no. future. <laughs> you never go you and don't. get your see, like, bad scene that you deleted. I do. Really?
1: Yes. That's why my chop file on my computer is called the compost heap because like, <laughs> (laughs) I don't know. I might want to root in there and see what's, Mm. see if there's anything good. But sometimes I pull out sentences that I'm like, Uh, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes a sentence is really good and it feels so painful to cut it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You, you revise the whole chapter around just saving one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I need the sentence in there. (laughs) Yeah. I think what happens with me is if I need a similar kind of scene, I will just write a new scene instead of instead of going back and getting the scene that I deleted that obviously wasn't very good because that's why I deleted it (laughs) yeah which requires courage
1: I get like to because it means that you have to face a blank page again during revision which actually I don't know know if you're the same as me but like when you have to write new material for a revision I always am like no I'm not drafting I'm revising I hate having to write a new thing for a draft that's already complete. Are you that way? Or do you, do you often have to write new material for your revision or is, is everything mostly already there from your draft?
2: Um, it's, it's, it depends. If I am struggling with something and I like, just like, it's so bad in my mind. Like, it's so bad. A blank page is comforting. Cause I'm like, well, there's a chance to make it good. Um, as opposed to revising the same thing that I think is bad over and over again. Like the idea of that does, I like that. And I've done that before where it's like, The like I've done that before where it's like um I'm revising the same page over and over again. It's just so for some reason not working. And then I'll open a blank page and just start completely new. And I'm like, okay, this is working. I've done that before. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, it is daunting to be like, I wrote this whole chapter. There are elements in the chapter I love. That's when it's hard when it's like so many different elements I love, but something is not working. That's really hard for me to be like, Well, I don't want to open a new draft because then I'll lose I'll lose like all of this already happening in the chapter. Like that's when things get tough, like, um, I, I joke that I spent, like, a year revising chapter three of The Girl Well Beneath the Sea. Yeah, <laughs> and that's not a lie. <laughs> oh. uh, and I was just like, oh.
1: Uh, Hold on, I gotta see. Which what was it was about,
2: <laughs> what was it about chapter three that was so hard? Oh, that's the chapter, okay, so that's the chapter where she meets a bunch, she meets three characters, she meets um Shin Namging and Kirin and I'm also I'm also doing world building that chapter because they have to, they're kind of explaining to her what's happening but I can't tell you what's happening because that's telling and then you know there's just like so many elements I needed to like you know there's just so much stuff I had to do introduce characters um in a way that wasn't wasn't like awkward or you know like and then Mina had to, like, talk about stuff. I don't know, it was just, like, a lot of stuff that was, like, not working. There were a lot of elements in it that were just not working. Um, and mm-hmm. that chapter is, like, formed out of, like, 50 versions of that.
1: Wow. wow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> From wow. all, like, that chapter is not a chapter where I opened a blank doc and rewrote it. That chapter is a chapter mm-hmm. that was, like, formed from 50 revisions of that same wow. stuff happening wow.
1: and then I'm, I'm looking at the chapter now and I like know exactly which chapter it is and it's also it's just reminding me of how your book is structured really interestingly because the first chapter we jump we don't get like a big long before, yeah. <laughs> you know this was like just a regular life yeah like, yeah like Mina was a gal who couldn't catch a break or whatever like we don't get that moment yeah. before we have like a catalyst and a decision and a, it's yeah. it's like instantly she's we are, jumping into the seat she's, yeah <laughs> she's right there
0: um,
1: yeah. yeah which means then um that chapter that you were talking about is like a real like a, a a new um normal like new setting a new baseline for what the normal is going to be in the book mm-hmm. so that's that's
2: interesting. Yeah. It took me forever.
1: <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. But you did, I mean, you did an amazing job because it mm-hmm. absolutely works as this hinge into the new normal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. can we talk about world building? Cause yes, I want to hear about your process for world building. Um, Yeah. I mean, from what you said before that the, the first draft kind of was pants and was quite intuitive. I imagine a lot of those images and elements kind of just happened in the draft but then how do you how do you kind of go about revising it and making sure that the world kind of makes sense and all of that stuff
2: yeah um so like the idea like so in the book I have a bunch of houses um that that are in the spirit realm and like each house like has a job or like people who like you know if you if you're if you're a spirit you just died (laughs) and you're a spirit you go to spirit house if you are a scholar you go to crane house that's very Korean because in crane symbolize um the intelligentsia or you know intelligent people in the scholars in Korea Mm. and then um uh tigers represent uh warriors in Korea right so like if you ever watch a Korean drama you'll see like on the side the these like scholars in robes like the people who are um military people they'll have tigers on their robes and if they're people who are mm. you know uh scholars they'll have cranes on their robes right so that was there's a precedent for some world building elements um and then you know in korea the sun represents like men so i had the sun house which was like you know that, that was dedicated to like men and then i had moon house uh which are de- dedicated to women because it's just how it is in korean culture like in yin yang right (laughs) the korean flag is a yin yang um but uh so i had elements like that where i was just like well i just kind of pulled from what i knew about like korean culture and putting it into like world building for the houses specifically and those came later um the first the first uh, revision i was kind of just like i put a house in when i thought i needed it and then i was like wait there has to be some structure to this (laughs) it can't just be like all right there's like a fox house because I wanted a demon goddess because I thought that was fun um I had to like actually have actually have some sort of world building element. so a lot of the like plot beyond Mina just finding the sea God and trying to figure out what's going on with him was sort of put into the book uh in second and third and fourth drafts that wasn't in the first draft like the, the all the politics with the houses all trying to do stuff I just I needed a reason for um shin and the others to be stealing souls so that's part of the book i mean i don't think this is spoilers all happens like i said it all happens like third by chapter three so it's not really a spoiler um yeah yeah and a lot of the world building um did come because i was like okay this is a cool thing i'm gonna put it in like the red string of fate was like, this is a cool thing, it'll be a fun trope. It's like a contract marriage trope where it's like, oh no, these people, these two characters are faded to each other, they have to stay together. And they're like, no, we don't like each other, but now we're faded. Um, so if your listeners don't know, the Red String of Fate, the myth, the legend behind that is that it is an invisible string that ties soulmates to one another. So it's like, if you, if like, you, but in my book, there it's a physical, you can see it at least between the two people who are connected and so Mina's connected to um this other boy who she doesn't want to be connected to and neither does he does he want to be connected to her so they're ver- they're very like the whole book they're like no <laughs> so it's like fun <laughs> it's like a fun like contract marriage sort of trope if we talk spoilers I only do spoilers for, like the first 50 pages <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> that? I a spoiler I think that's <laughs> fair game yeah <laughs> I to talk yeah
2: about yeah
0: you're yeah. not revealing the ending or like the twist or the No, yeah. no. I think you're
1: fine <laughs> yeah. to talk about the first 50 pages for sure. Especially are so you like we- talk- the thing that's the end of the third chapter? Is that what you're worried about spoiling?
2: Yeah, spoiling. I was spoiling, mm. i was worried about spoiling like Shin's role, <laughs> which is that there's like, mm-hmm. another character in it. So he's not the sea god, he's just like another side character. Um, and he's like the character who, you know, becomes entangled with her fate. And then um, yeah, so the end of the end of the third chapter, uh, her souls. Is- turned I guess into a bird and I the reason I chose the magpie is because it's a very symbolic Korean bird um mm. the magpie is actually the symbol is a what's the word what it's like the symbol of Korea like the bird symbol of Korea mm-hmm. like, like the like the, the state, national, national the official bird. Bird. Yeah. state
1: yeah, yeah national the national bird.
2: bird of Korea is the magpie so I was like and oh, I that's seeing, so cool I remember seeing magpies in the palace when I would visit Korea like in the palace grounds I actually saw them my grandfather is actually a famous architect in Korea. Oh, cool, um, wow. yeah, um, and his name is Kim Tum Up, and he designed the um, 1988 Olympic Gate. If you like, mm-hmm. look at it; it's a beautiful winged gate with his dragon. Wow, head. yeah, uh, but he also designed uh, the War Memorial in Busan, which is like toward the. It's like the city and the on the peninsula, like the very bottom of the peninsula mm-hmm. uh, the second biggest city in Seoul and he designed the war memorial there and I remember I remember going and like visiting visiting it because I was like you know I wanted to see my mom and I because it's her father wanted to see the architecture and um, there were magpies like all over the grave wow. and on the grass And I remember being like they're so pretty at taking pictures and I love um I love like birds and yeah Hours, all that kind of stuff so I was like mm. oh so when it when I when her soul had to turn into something it like just came I was like okay magpie because it makes yeah. mm. sense. Is- and and magpies are like so wily like yeah <laughs> yeah they, I, they they are too they do too they are they're known to warn of thieves so there's actually a part of the book where she goes like I know magpies warn of thieves but I'm the thief like blah 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 that's a, a homage to the fact that magpies in the myth they I think it's like if they chirp in the morning or night, it does different things, but at night it means they're mourning that they're thieves about. So you have to like oh. walk. yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so things like that, the world building sort of just kind of came as I was writing and it was inspired by just things I knew about already or experienced, mm-hmm. um, or I just thought it'd be fun, like image image too, like the imagery of that. And like magpies mm-hmm. are small, so you can carry them around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Are you, do you think that you are drawn to writing things that are beautiful, that are just like aesthetically pleasing, like the colors and the certain <laughs> kinds of animals? And I was just thinking about the fox um, and the, I mean, there's so many beautiful things in this book, uh, the boats and the, pa- the paper, are they paper boats that they put yeah, in, the, in the water? Yes, I just, there's so many beautiful things and I think one of the for me definitely one of the drives to writing is just to create something beautiful when sometimes the world feels so chaotic and Mm -hmm. can feel very ugly sometimes it can feel very like stressful um Mm -hmm. and to write a world where everything is kind of orderly in a way and and really beautiful even if there's a lot of plot chaos happening Mm -hmm. in that world can sometimes be so satisfying and you you kind of feel like almost like you can control something
2: yeah I definitely I think that's also why I love how Miyazaki films so much because mm-hmm. he also can make things that are very not beautiful beautiful like just like a uh, frying eggs in a pan ordinary things what yeah eggs, right with like mm. you know meat <laughs> or whatever I'm like this is mm. so beautiful <laughs> right he can yeah make he does you're the right. so beautiful um
0: yes yeah. yeah
2: and garbage like the garbage and like ponyo like it you know he makes it look beautiful as like as beautiful I mean as like upsetting too because it's garbage but also all of his imagery is just very like tactile like you feel like you can you feel like you pick it up kind of thing um and so I was very influenced by that uh with all my writing um and also like moments that are very specific like you know um I guess this is not Hayao Miyazaki but like everyone you know everyone loves the In *Pride and Prejudice*, the hand, the the knuckle, the the uh, you know, the fist, the fist, Mister Darcy fist. Like, why is that? Because it's like a very specific image. You know what it. You know that feeling, right? And it's like Mm -hmm. so powerful. Like I love things like that where you can focus on a moment that doesn't seem like. It would be a big thing too. I love stuff like that too. I love like I love the big descriptions of beautiful cities, landscapes, you know, um, city descriptions is so much fun to write. Uh, but I also love like the small moments of like, you know, a character just eating like a, like a, like a, a dumpling, you know, something like that. Like yeah. I love that. Yeah.
0: The scene um, when Mina eats the dumpling in the beginning,
2: mm-hmm.
0: when she first gets there is is so like I could almost taste it it was yeah. so good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and, and then, then she the babies, yes <laughs> yes. And she,
1: yes she eats the one and then looks to the person who bought it for her uh-huh. and he's like fine and buys her an, a second one right uh-huh. like just yeah. a single glance she doesn't say oh I'm still hungry I want another one yeah. you just have that exchange just all through looks <laughs> in, in just a couple sentences and it says so much about her, her character, this other character, the way interactions work in this world. And oh, it's, mm. it's masterful. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about, so you've, you've revised it, you've gone through, I know you have um, critique partners and um, that re- like read and give you notes and you've gotten it to this point where you're going to query, like tell us about how it happened because you've hinted that there was some drama or like some, like, I don't know that this is like a good story. So why don't you tell us about how it got agented and how it went out on submission and finally was bought and acquired.
2: Yeah. So we're going to have to do timeline here. It's a long time. So like I said, I wrote it, I started 2014. I finished it 2015. I met, um, Haley and my agent, Patricia, in 2014 at a conference, so I was at that time I was querying my rebel soul, my sci fi, and it was not getting any traction. I got a lot of feedback that was like dystopia is oversaturated, which I understand, but I was like, but there's like how many Korean dystopias are there? Tell me that, <laughs> like how is this oversaturated when there's zero Korean dystopias? Um, so I was like, varying that, like, oh, and so I was like, on the like, kind of like, so I pitched Patricia, and she's like, oh, that's so cool, but then I- then I was like, but I'm working on this. Other project too that I'm really excited about, um, and I like just I, all, at the time only had one chapter, and she was like, "That sounds so good. I love like that. If you when you finish that, qu- like query me, right?" And I was like, "Okay." Um, so that also helped me because that motivated me. It's like there's someone who wants it at the end of the road, right? And so um, did my did my what was this 2015? No, my, my timeline's like okay. I don't want to like I'm so confused, <laughs> but um, Rebel Soul. Won the New Visions Award. Yeah. So Rebel Soul won the New Visions Award. I finished, I got I got it got into my master's program. And then that summer I re- wrote the entire entirety of Girl first draft, queried it. <laughs> um queried so you sent it to draft. Patricia. You sent yeah. that first draft to her. Okay. I did. Um and she um like within minutes was like, oh, like I said, you know, the query. I didn't send the whole thing. I sent like the, you know, first chapter um query and within minutes she was like send me the full right and so uh I sent her the full and then she offered like th- like like three days later so it was like really based fast. on your
0: first yeah. draft that is amazing yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool we
2: revised it later <laughs> but yeah the <laughs> first draft um and then I also got two other offers from two other agents um and my request request rate was pretty high it was like I maybe I sent to 15 people and like 10 had a full request Wow. Um and there were also, uh, after I knew after like three offered and I knew who I wanted, I also like emailed some uh, some of the agents who were still reading and said I already I accepted an offer. Um, so it was very like, it was very like that whole experience is like, wow, this is a dream come true. yay, <laughs> Kind of experience. Um, and then I revised Patricia. We went on sub for the first time in 2016. Um, so we revised, she we revised like a we revised it. And then um, yeah, and then I got a lot of rejections, obviously, because it's the first sub <laughs> um, by editors. And some of them said some like things that I think are a little shady. Like one of them said, um, we already required a Chinese fantasy, so we're not gonna look at your work. <laughs> and I was like, What? What? And later that was I read very that shady. Fantasy. And I love this book. I'm not going to say the book, but I loved it. But it's it was actually contemporary. It was a contemporary fantasy. It wasn't even that it was just Chinese. So it was like, obviously not Korean, but it was a contemporary fantasy, like set in the modern world. So I was like, that's completely different. I don't understand. So a completely gross. different book. So, yes. yeah. Ugh. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then. Especially because like,
1: what are you supposed to do? Like, what do like, yeah. as an author, like that's. Yeah. That you can't. Like, what, yeah. What's your actionable approach after that? Or Patricia's like. Yeah.
2: She was just like, we're not going to sub to them again, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: yeah. Um, Good agent. Yeah. Um. And then uh, a lot. And then there were R and R's, which were really helpful because they were like, you know, the world building is a little chaotic, and it was because it was it was pants. So I understood that. Um. And so that helped a lot. And then uh, that was the main one that it was just very chaotic. It wasn't. I think the word was the through line wasn't clear. Like the plot through line wasn't clear and um, you wanted it to be, what was the word, lessening the world building. That's not the word, but it was clarifying it, make, like taking out all the complicated parts and like, oh, streamlining.
0: Simpli- yeah. Okay. Here's the word like that Simplifying you, it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Streamlining the world building. And I was like, I understand that because right now it's just like a bunch of pretty stuff without any ties. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I understood that. Um, they yeah. wanted more romance and I was like okay <laughs> YA editors <laughs> but I love that so that was fine like I was like okay, okay So I've made it more romantic anyway so the point of this was that it failed on stuff in 2016. So but you said oh. art,
0: you said was thorough. three. Honors. Girl, three mm-hmm, wow. three honors. Um In that first round.
2: Yeah so that was actually really cool that was really encouraging.
0: Wow. Um, we were, like.
2: So three, three editors were like, we'll look at it again if you do these things. So I was like, that's why okay. I was like, okay, I am going to revise it because three people said they would look at it again. Yeah. Um, and so, but by then, my second sci-fi sold, Rogue Heart. So I had to draft that, um, which, so that was like, that's that, that came out in 2019. But I knew I had to draft it uh to, by 2017 so I was like uh, while I was revising girl while I was going to grad school and also working on other projects for grad school I was also writing rogue heart and so girl wasn't like even though I was revising girl I had other I was like other things were happening which is why it took so long as well um so so we went on stuff in 2016 and then from like <clears throat> 2017 to 2019 I was pretty much like revising girl in between all this other stuff and then um Finally, in 2019, my final, final revision of Girl, we went on sub again. And then it sold six months later. So it didn't even sell, like, fast then either. It took, it didn't sell until 2020 January, I think. Wow. Yeah. So it took a while. So that's why people are like, you know, it's not, it's not like a, um, that's why I I tell the story because, you know, I feel like Girl is very, it's doing very well. And it took a long time and I wanted to be like, well, it's not like a one night wonder kind of thing. Like it took a long time. Yeah, um, yeah like
0: people might look at it and go, Oh, you're an, you're an, you're a New York Times bestseller and it's always been this easy for you and you're like, No, no. Yeah. <laughs> This Eight book. years in the making.
2: <laughs> so many people said no to this book, which is like fine. Cause I always said yes. Patricia always said yes, which was really important. Um, my mom, she's like, it's, it's dedicated to her cause it's her favorite of my books I've ever written. She's read everything I've ever written, including short stories, fan fiction. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's
1: so and, cool. Yeah.
2: So um, hold
1: on. I want to just pause and re-repeat yeah. something you just said that is like so beautiful. You mm-hmm. just said, It was always a yes for me. Mm -hmm. Mm. Like that's just gorgeous. And I also want to point out too, like while you were working on this, you had, and, and, and working to get like, to find a yes from somebody else, um, you had to pause working on this and work on other things that maybe, um, were you ever tempted to be like, oh, well, like, my like sci-fi I have these two other books that are different genres maybe I should just not worry about this other one that is mm-hmm. taking way longer and having this more circuitous path to publication like that's amazing that you're able to pause working on this and then come back around to it because like I don't know about you but like that's so that's so hard for me to mm-hmm. have to pause I, I, even though it's my natural like work rhythm to like put books away and then come back to them later. And it always feels like coming back to them. Like I'm a totally different person. And it feels like the book has shifted since I've been away and I have to like relearn it all over again. So to, yeah, to, to just not only was it like eight years of having it, it's like having a tab open in your brain for eight years Mm -hmm. that you have to like keep ignoring and keep waiting to like, come back to it. So that's like amazing. But just that you said, we got a lot of no's but it was always a yes for me. And it was a yes for my agent. Mm-hmm. That's just, I, I don't know. Like you can respond to that if you want. I just wanted to like repeat it in case anybody missed it the first time. Cause I was just so, I like, I'm going to write that down probably. and like, <laughs> look at it. It was yeah. always a yes for me. Yeah. Axio. Yeah. Oh, great.
0: <laughs> so great. Yeah. And also obviously it really helps to have an agent who really believes in the project and believes in you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah
2: yeah i definitely i always felt like i always felt very supportive of patricia for this project like for all projects but like this project to tell like she loved it as like she loved it right so i was like she never felt like i would say sometimes i would have those misgivings i'd be like well maybe you should make it middle grade you know maybe that it'll it'll suit that audience better because you know it does have elements that are a little more you know, kind of middle gradient, but I have children characters. And she was like, no, this is a YA novel. Like this is, a, you wrote it as a YA novel. It reads like a YA novel. The, the romance is so central to the plot. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you just stick to your, stick to your guns. We'll make it work. We're going to sell it. But I would have moments where I'd be like, but how? No one's buying it. <laughs> and she was like yeah. so encouraging. Um, yeah. And there were a lot of moments where I was like, I talked about this before publication, but. I went to Korea the year before it, or 2019 when it went on sub, and I remember it had just on sub, there were no rejections yet, but I remember remembering how hard it was in 2016 to always like to hear those no's, and to like to, to, to get that moment where it's like, an editor will be like, oh, I'm reading it, and then hear the no, right, when you're like, you know, you feel like, oh, it could happen, and then the no, or like, I'm taking it to acquisitions because that happened too, and then it's a no, like that happened too, the first round. And so like knowing that was happening and then when I went to Korea I would see things that reminded me of my book and it would make me happy but also sad because I'd be like well what if it never gets published and like every time I look at the magpie I'll be reminded of my book and I'll be so sad you know. And I had that moment I was like wow that's like really upsetting. I think that's one of the you know, uh, problems of, of having it in your mind for eight years <laughs> is that you you kind of like hold it in your heart for so long that like it hurts, it, like physically hurts when like re- you have reminders of it. But then I started thinking to myself, I don't know what changed, but like I, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to start believing in that it will happen and I'm going to do things that will um, make me, remind me of the book and think that it'll happen no matter what kind of thing so like for my birthday for my 30th birthday i watched spirit away this was in october so the year so it didn't sell yet because it sold the following year 2020 um January right but for, in October I was like I'm gonna watch it right away I think it was like the I don't know it was like some sort of big anniversary for the movie too and I was like I'm gonna watch it I'm gonna think to myself my book will be published one day if it's even if it's not like through a big publisher I'll make it work like I'll get readers for this book because I love it so much and I watched the movie and it was like so comforting to me because like that movie um is, like my favorite Miyazaki movie and that movie also reminds me of my book <laughs> um I mean all that movie specifically, but all Miyazaki is like I love all of his works. Um, but things like that where I was like very intentional with what I was doing and being happy about it, being comforted by it instead of being sad. Because I remember a lot of like rejection leads to hurt, right? When you're like, especially if you're a writer, you're like, "Well, it's never going to happen," right? That kind of feeling, um, and then being like, "Well, why is that my framework?" Just think you can make it work. It doesn't. It doesn't have to happen the way the way that people think it'll happen like a, you know, huge auction, <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen. It doesn't have to happen that way. It could happen in a quieter way, which is totally fine. Um, so I had those thoughts too. Um, and it did happen in a quiet way. It was, it didn't go to, I didn't go to auction. Um, it, we did have two offers for it, but it didn't, it was just like very quiet. Um, one of the, the two offering editors, um, one of them I knew, and then one of them who um, who did acquire Emily, uh, I knew that she was looking for fantasy like uh, retellings before her remix classics, before that was announced. Um, I didn't know that it was the remix classes that she was looking for. So I'm glad she took my book on because it's not a remix classic. I mean, it is kind of, but, um, but uh, yeah. So I knew that she was like looking for that. So I was like, oh, so she's interested in fantasy retelling. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, so that was sort of, it happened very like I felt like everything that happened for it happened as it should. So yeah, it's it's easy to say that now though, because it already happened. <laughs> At the time I was very like, ah, I don't know, I'm so upset. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but I think you raised such an
0: interesting and such a good point about being able to be kind to yourself during that mm-hmm. process because it can be such a roller coaster, like. You're like constantly checking your email, and then yeah. something good happens, and you're like, Yay! And then something, and then you get the rejection, and you're like, it's like the lowest low, and you're yeah. going, you're like ping ponging mm-hmm. from emotion to emotion. And I think just the decision to say, No, I'm going to look after myself, and with, you know, whatever that means, like doing things that comfort me, mm-hmm. being really kind to myself, telling myself, it can happen. It's still, it could happen, it mm-hmm. will happen, you know. Um, and choosing to believe in the book and to believe in yourself is such a powerful. It's such a quiet thing, but it's such a powerful mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It also
1: it reminds me so much of the years before I signed with an agent and knew that I wanted to be like was working towards publication. Um, it was I had like this unspoken list of like movies, and music and books and things that were sort of off limits to me because watching them or consuming mm-hmm. them made me so either it's hard to describe how it made me feel jealous that mm-hmm. I hadn't made it or on like, not like it, they just reminded me that I hadn't, that I hadn't Gotten published yet. Like Mm -hmm. they reminded me of like, this is what I want. I want to be a part of this. Like I want my own book like this on the shelf. And so reading it or consuming the movie or whatever put me in the worst mood because Mm -hmm. they just reminded me, um, like I couldn't relax and just enjoy them as like a consumer, as like a reader or a like a a viewer. They just reminded me of what I saw as like failings as a creator. Mm -hmm. And Um, which is like such a, an unhealthy (laughs) space Mm -hmm. to be in, but like, I still get hit with that sometimes, you know, like there is still sometimes, and, and it's, it's funny because it's usually not something that I, it's usually like a, a movie or a book or something that I love. And that feels like, oh my God, in another timeline, I could have made this, like, it feels like a piece of my soul. And, um depending on where I'm at with my own relationship to my own work and my own creativity and like, yes, my own successes in my career, like how validated do I feel currently? Um, it affects my relationship with that, but, um, nine times out of 10, I just like recommend always to try to breathe through that and engage with whatever it is, just like you did with spirited away. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm sure, like, I'm sure it would have been easy to, to resent that movie for a while until your book sold because it would be such a painful reminder of Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I'm not there yet. And this hurts too much to watch because I want that to be me. I want people to associate me with spirited away, or I want, you know, like I want that association in the universe and it's not there yet, but gosh, how, how powerful that you were like, no, I'm going to take this as a sign, like that like as a, yeah, as like a, um, a nice little mile post on my way to where I want to go. I just like, I just remember trying to watch Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter movie, which, uh-huh. um, like probably in like 2010 or 2011 and having to leave the room mm. because it was making me so choked up with like jealousy that I was not, mm-hmm. A major middle grade author yet. Like it just uh-huh. which so, it's so juvenile, but it just like uh, it just hurt. And then and then finding moments of freedom throughout my own like creative success and like career success where it feels I feel unthreatened by strong connections with other work because I mm-hmm. I feel secure in where I am as a creator. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 really interesting that you brought that up because that that just reminded me of of being in that place.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's a. I feel like a lot of creators have been in that place, especially if you write about if you are writing about something that exists, like relates to something like like for example, Spirit Away is a movie, um, but my book was very much inspired by that movie and that feeling that the movie gives you, mm-hmm. which is like just wholesome vibes and also you know uh, magic and what you know imagination that kind of stuff. And, um, and also like when you love something so much and your book mm-hmm. is sort of like an homage to that. And then when that thing that you love, you, when the book doesn't do, like, does, is it being, being rejected? The thing that you love is like, hurt, You hurt the relationship with the thing that you love is hurt because of that. That, mm-hmm. that was like hard for me because I do that with all my books. All my books are like, even my K-pop book, I love K-pop, right? And even that was a little like tested because, you know, people are like, it becomes more of like, you don't, you're co- sort of commodifying the thing you love, which is what you're not trying to do. Publishing forces you to commodify something you love. But right. you the reason you start up to write it is not to, to do that. Yeah. It's because you just genuinely love the thing and you want to create something that is in that, you know, you know, in conversation with that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, publishing kind of makes you go, go a little wild because sure. it, of all of the ups and downs. But um yeah I think that's sort of like the double-edged sword I don't know I don't know yeah. but I, I definitely think like finding sort of having a relationship where it's like you can have them both um yeah. and that sort of is is nice it's hard to get there <laughs> I feel like every everything I write begins like I love this thing so I'm gonna I'm gonna write something that's like inspired by it yeah. um and then like something happens you're like oh I can't even look at that thing yeah um, but then eventually come back to yeah. it so
1: But then your relationship is forever changed regardless because if you're in, if you're internalizing it and making your own version of it or influence, like it will forever be altered. And that's, again, that's kind of a weird thing to grieve and to mourn the, like that you'll never, you'll never look at spirited away on its own, probably ever again. It will probably always remind you of this. You'll have this new aspect that you, you, you look at it with like, yeah. And maybe you'll come back around to it someday and be able to look at it the way that you did once. But, but it's also a beautiful new connection.
2: Yeah. I've, I just, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I watched that book. I watched that book. I watched that movie when I was 11 in theaters. I remember. Oh, yeah. wow. And, that must've um, been amazing. Yeah. It was like, it was like just such a mind blowing experience. I watched it with my friend and her older sister who I idolized. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and yeah, the sister, she was like so beautiful, and I idolized her. and She took us, she took me and my best friend. Oh, to go wow. see it. I remember being like, This is so amazing! Then it won the Academy Award, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so I just like I have so many distinct memories of that film, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I think I always will love that film, I still love it. So, yeah. one of my fa- it's still my favorite. Um, okay. that and Nausicaa are my favorite. Mm. The Valley of the Wind, um, mine's Arietti. No one oh, it, I love yes. Arietti so much yes. Arietti <laughs> yeah. is like a good example of like how they, you can sh- you could how uh how miyazaki shows like details in like the yes. mundane. yep yeah it's just, it looked beautifully yeah. um and it's a, it's a
1: good thing your book sold so that you can
2: watch because
1: <laughs> if not if, <laughs> if not like would you ever be able to watch spirited away ever
2: again that would have been I so know. hard <laughs> like, I know maybe yeah probably I know think about something I thought about that even before it's all like yeah and oh, then, no. then I did it. I watched yeah. it for my birthday. So yeah. it was, it was fine. But it did have that feeling of like a shard in the heart sort of feeling where it's like yeah. it's beautiful, but there is that little ache. So I definitely had that. Um and so it's nice. And it's also thank you. Um yes. me and and friends. <laughs> thank you, Patricia. For saving your favorite movie. Yeah, for yes. Saving me my relationship to
1: my favorite movie of all time. Um yeah. But that yeah. shard, I mean, that's the that vulnerability though is yeah. what lets us yeah. make amazing books like you have to be vulnerable and willing to um get stabbed in the heart (laughs) that way with rejection um yeah that's beautiful though
2: it's interesting because like now I'm like I'm writing books you know and I'm thinking to myself um do I have to like how do I find the vulnerability (laughs) within within me to write this book like I think I think that now and I'm like you know it's it's interesting because I because I was very like like very gung ho. It had to be vulnerable in order to, for it to be like a strong good book. Um, you, you know, you have to like put all your emotions into it, and I still think that somewhat. But as I like go through my career, I also think. Um, it's okay that not every book has to be like the book of your heart. <laughs> not every book has to be blood on the page because um, XOXO was not that for me. It was not, I mean, I love K-pop but it wasn't like a book of my heart. It was like, I, I put elements that are very close to me like the Korean diaspora experience. EXO um, is like a, it's a rom-com. It's just like a rom-com. It's like a K-drama in a book and I wrote it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like so much fun. I love it. I love my readers, but it's not like I didn't like kill my, you know, I didn't like kill myself to write that book. You know, I wasn't like, yeah. ah, you know, um, and that that's fine too, I think. So, yeah,
0: yeah, it
2: was like a realization, um, but also maybe I was, I was recovering from eight years. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, just like, just like me as a viewer or reader, I can't like, I need to mix it up with what I consume. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. I just need America's next top model and not something that's going to make me feel deeply, (laughs) you know, like we, (laughs) and that same thing is true. And, you know, like, gosh, I value both of them equally in my life. Both of Mm -hmm. them let me live, Mm
2: -hmm. you know? So, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I'm watching Love is Blind Japan.
2: It's, it's <gasps> I great. I didn't know there was that. I didn't know
0: either. It's on Netflix. Well, it's on my Netflix. It must be on your Netflix, I assume.
2: I don't know. Actually, region, regions have different Netflixes. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: I've heard, heard this, yeah. but surely I wouldn't have Netflix Japan in South Africa and you guys not have it in America like that. I don't know. I don't know. But look for it. Check if it's on there because it's great. Okay. I will watch it if it's on there. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Axie, at the end of our episodes, we bring a piece of oft repeated writing advice or like a quote unquote writing rule um, that is often passed around among writers. And we ask you to just respond to it. You can agree with it or disagree with it, or just say, I don't know. It depends. Everyone's different. But we want to just hear what you think about it. And um, Haley and I each have one to ask you. So we're gonna gonna have you um, answer two of them. So the thing that I wanted to have you respond to is um, any kind of writerly advice that's given about how long a book should take to write. So sometimes you hear people say like, um, Oh, a a really, really good book should take you a really long time. So if you're working on the same book for 10 years, that must mean it's a masterpiece. Or sometimes you hear the opposite that like, if a book isn't working after like six months of working on it or a year, you should, you know, you should go ahead and trunk it or, or, um, you know, that that means it isn't working. And since, since, um, Uh, girl took you a long time to write like that is a long time to be committed to this one Mm -hmm. uh, book idea I just wondered what your thoughts were now that you're on the other side of it
2: yeah I mean I definitely think with the sort of general like the sort of broad general uh, advice that um, it's so circumstantial right (laughs) I wouldn't I, I I don't think I think for me it's very like well what? what 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 did I do for this book isn't specifically what I think all people should do <laughs> or, you know, it's very, whatever your circumstances are. Like with this book, I didn't blame myself. I blame publishing.
1: <laughs> I was nice. like,
2: I'm very stubborn in that way where I'm like, it's not my fault. It's your fault. <laughs> um, I love but that. Um, but uh, I definitely don't think you need a ton of time to write a book for it to be good. I think it just depends on the type of book it is. It just depends on what you need from the book. I mean, I'm glad that it took so long only in that the final version of the book is the book in my head. So I do think that if the book was published as it was the first, when it was first written in 2014, it would have been what what was in my head, I guess, at the time, but not the perfect, the, the version that it is now where I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. it feels right like when we went on sub in 2019 I felt I thought to myself this is it this is the best I can do this is what I wanted Mm -hmm. um so that was a very empowering feeling because like it was very also maybe that's also why um I could have I could regain that relationship back with the things I loved is because um I could let it go because it was the best I could do you know that was Mm -hmm. like also that feeling um but I don't so in that way the time it took it just so happened that way. I don't know if it needed all of that time. And like a lot of the time was my own because I was like, I'm going to write this other book while I'm, you know, I have to write this other book and I have to do my MFA program. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I think it's just, I don't think, I think maybe it's because I'm also like, I don't want to think I have to spend eight years to make a good book, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but I don't think you do. I don't think like XXO only took me, I think three months to write <laughs> wow yeah and I mean I re- and then just to draft it and then I revised it um so maybe in total like five months like three like uh three months to draft it and then like a month and a half actually to revise it because wow. it was crashed it sold in 2020 and came out 2021 um and so with that in mind, and I don't think XOXO is a bad book. Like, I, I love it. I was exactly, sure. I wrote exactly how I, I wanted it to be. Like, it's exactly what it was supposed to be. Um, And I, and I'm very proud of it and I love it. So I think it just depends on the type of book it is. Mm-hmm. Um, is. I'm also the type of person who like refuses to trunk anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very like, even that book that I told you, that fantasy I wrote, I, like, I want to, I want to go back to that and like completely rewrite it, completely change, actually want to change the genre of it. Um but I never, I never, I never want to close any doors to anything. Um, and it, but it won't hurt me not to go back to it. That's the difference though. Like trunk, like I leave doors open for all my books, but I don't have to go through them. It's just, the door is always open. That's how I feel about it. Um, the, the trunking thing just makes me feel sad. Like you're never, you can never see it again. I guess it's different if like the book is awful. Like like you wrote the book, and you're like, wait, this is actually awful. Or it's like problematic. Then yeah, maybe yeah. you trunk it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, So far for me, for all my books, it's like even if I never write it, like I have like that horror book I wrote wrote in um in grad school, um that's the doors open for that too. Even though I don't see myself writing horror anytime in the near future, but the doors open for that. Like I love that book too. Um, so I'm very like that type of person. But I don't think everyone has to be like if you want to trunk away a novel and that makes you like if that's good, you can you can move on. That's good too. That's fine too. So I guess my advice is very like, I'll tell you how I am with these specific things, mm-hmm. but um, I also validate how you are sort of thing. Yeah. Um, sort of like, that's my response to that. I love that. Mm-hmm.
1: I always just think like a, a writer can't tell yeah. how long a book took to write unless they look it up and read what anybody said. So if, mm-hmm. you know, since that's the truth of it, then it must not actually matter how long it took to write.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, um, girl, I say eight years just because the idea of it came to me eight Mm -hmm. years ago, but probably if you really think about it, it only took like a year (laughs) because I was probably only working in that span of eight years, sure. When I was working on it, I mean, a year of it was on chapter three, so chapter three (laughs) took a year, and then (laughs) and then the rest.
1: And that is the rule that is a hard and fast rule all chapter threes must take a year, (laughs) everything else. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> no that's great mm-hmm. Haley what do you think I was just thinking about how yeah it's it is funny how some books feel like they need to sit in your head for mm-hmm. like five years and then you can and then when you feel ready to write them you can just write them and it's sometimes they come out like not perfectly formed, but you know, they come out, I don't know, like with a rough shape. And then other things you have to just chip away at for a really long time. I don't know, it's just i I just always think each book feels like this little like being or personality that you're trying to bring into the world. And mm-hmm. each one is so different, and they demand different things from you. and mm-hmm. it feels different writing them, and they take different periods of time. and you can never like that's why no one can ever say, a book must take 5 years or 1 month or whatever it is because each one is so different and then of course when you throw in the market of publishing you know because the other thing that's so important i think to to talk about or to to acknowledge with this story of going on sub is that a big part of why it didn't sell was racism mm. you know like <laughs> that and it's almost like um yeah almost like in the 4 years uh, between when you first went on sub or the three years so 2016 to 2019. Mm-hmm. a lot of things happened in publishing yeah, really that changed the books, conversation yeah. around diverse books changed. Uh, people I think people became more outspoken about calling out racism, which mm-hmm. is really really important thing to do. And yeah, like that is completely out of your control and i I'm I think it's so amazing that you were able to, hold on to your belief in yourself and partly it is also patricia saying i believe in this book this is a wonderful book but it's also you it's like your inner drive to do it and to know like this is a great book and i i want to write i want it to be published it's just really shitty (laughs) that 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 happened and that that continues to happen i don't think racism in publishing is over um it's very much still a thing so yeah um just that that stuff of like all the stuff in publishing that you can't control is also part of why a book takes a long time to get published or to get made Mm -hmm. um and so we can't beat ourselves up about if it takes a long time or if yeah we just can't beat ourselves up about Mm -hmm. that because that's not in our control um yeah yeah Yeah, I'm I'm just I just want to say I'm really sorry that you had to read rejections like that. Like, oh, we already acquired a mm-hmm. Chinese fantasy. I mean, it's just, it's just really racist and shitty and I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. Um, it helps that I'm like so stubborn that when I got that response, I was like, well, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. I love That's that. My response. My That's always my response to so like, to 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 what I think is like unreasonable like an unreasonable response like that will make me think well that doesn't make any sense like when someone's like your world building needs more work I'm like okay I agree that makes
0: sense I can can work with that that. yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) um that doesn't make me mad that just makes me I love critique I love feedback I um that's why it always like used to upset me when people are like not people but like the feeling of being like well if you just revise it like, why are you so against revision? Like, no, I'm not against revision. I love revision. It's like I don't like the, those sort of responses where like, you can't. What can you do about that? Instead of being, instead of being like, you know, oh, I can't do anything. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah,
1: <laughs> actually, that's not yeah. a problem with the book. It yeah, yeah, that is not, yeah, a,
2: problem
0: that is not a problem with the book. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Yeah, but so, that brings us really neatly actually to my to the other advice um, section or the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is. Um, because I hear this as advice, and I guess it's, it's advice that I've tried to internalize for myself, which is the idea that it helps as a writer because there's so much you can't control. And um, to focus on the one thing you can control, which is the writing, and like focus on the process of writing the book rather than focusing on the outcome of selling the book or getting the review that you want or being a New York Times bestseller or, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Um. Uh, Yeah, what do you how do you like is that something that you've thought about and how do you feel about that idea
2: yeah no I definitely think that's super important um, because I can sometimes when I'm writing I can feel myself like even when I was before querying I could I would make lists of like agents to query before a book's even done i'm like why am i doing this like it's like i should finish the book right but i would do that <laughs> um and um i think in same with like before brand stop i would look up editors i'd be like i would borrow my friend's publisher's marketplace right <laughs> id and, uh, id and i would like look at deals like before it even sold and that's silly too like why am i doing that um, it's hard not to do that like I don't think you should do that like I I actually think that's not good I think you like I, I would try not to do that now um, but uh, I think it's about compartmentalizing right to try to be like you're gonna no matter what that's gonna happen like once the book is done you're going to stop you're gonna do that anyway like you're gonna do that like you're gonna you're gonna stalk those editors. You're gonna like for me. I would read sub stories of people, like p- other people's sub stories, just to see what it like, what 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 it's like. Um, that's how I knew um, about acquisitions boards. That's how I knew about like second reads. Like I didn't. No one told me that. I like wouldn't. I wouldn't search that up. I was like in like the Facebook like the you know, those Facebook groups of like kidlit writers who are like I'm on sub right now. i be like oh this person just sold so that person. You know what I mean I'd be like oh I would read they like you know their happy stories or their sad stories I guess um and so like to me I'm like it's gonna happen I'm gonna do that anyway because that's just my personality so like if I can compartment compartmentalize where it's like let me just do the work first and try to focus on that first because I'm gonna do that why do it now why do why do it <laughs> at the same time <laughs> if it's gonna happen um so um yeah so that's sort of how I try to do it now um but it's just so hard not to, like, it's so hard. I don't know, maybe people, people should limit your access to these other, (laughs) these other Mm. ways to like, uh, make yourself go a little wild while you're doing the work, because the outcome you can't control, right? But the process, Mm -hmm. you can, it did, it did help that. uh, I love, I love writing. Obviously we all love writing. We love, we love draft, we love revising like way more than the other stuff, right? So it helps that it's fun, like it's fun to draft, it's fun to revise. So it takes you away from that too. Like that helped me a lot with girls specifically when I was like in that stage of like revising it, um, I had my craft books that Patricia recommended me, uh, Story Genius, um, and that was the, the John Truby one. Mm-hmm. And like, it was fun for me to like analyze my book and like really think about it in those terms with the using the craft books. And so that actually really helped me in the revision process. Um, because it gave me some structure as opposed to being like, because I'm very like not a structure person. So like, but those books give me structure. So actually, that's something that I do for every book I revise. I use craft books, Mm -hmm. um, because it gives me a thing to look at, and to really deep dive into. Mm -hmm. Um, So I recommend Story of Genius a lot. I've used that for like every single one of my books in in the revision process. Cool. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I guess, I guess for that I would say try not to. But if you do, that's fine. I, you know, It's fine. Um, we all do. Yeah, we <laughs> all do it. Um, but yeah. I do think it. It is better to to think. If you're going to do it eventually anyway. So just try not to. Just work on the work on what you can control, and what you enjoy. enjoy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think exactly. I feel the same way. But I, I think my what I've been wrestling with is like, I love that advice. I'm like, cool. Yes, makes yeah. total sense. Um, How do I actually do it, though? Because, you know, it's just so tempting to, to focus on the on the outcome. And, you know, I try to do that thing also where I send something out and then immediately start working on something else so that I can distract myself from the fact that this thing is out. But then yeah, it's just, it. I find it so hard to dive into a new project as soon as I've like finished something because my head is still, it feels yeah. like there's this lag and my head is still in that world
2: mm-hmm. and I
0: don't want to let it go. And yeah, so I don't know. It's just like a daily practice of I'm going to try, but I often fail. I often fail to focus on the process. Yeah. And it's so tempting to focus on <laughs> the outcome. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah I definitely don't I don't focus I never focus on far outcomes like I never I never think of what the cover will look like I just don't I don't never think about like the reception of the book um Mm. I don't know why maybe it's because I don't I don't know the reception till I see the cover anyway so (laughs) (laughs) um but I like the things I like focus focus on are usually the immediate thing that will happen after a book is done. So I'll focus Mm -hmm. on editors. I'll focus on, um, yeah, I'll focus on whatever the next step is Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. any other things. And then when when I'm on that next step, then I'll like be like, what's, what's after that? Um, yeah, yeah. but no, like, yeah, I'm not someone who's like, I'm going to even like with my new books I'm working on, I'm not like, these books are going to hit the New York times. Like, I don't think that way Mm -hmm. about anything. If anything, I'm like, I write, I was t- talking to my friend because we were talking about like how I know like a lot of writers are like, we want to get bigger, 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 bigger. We want to sell bigger, bigger, bigger books, right? right? And I was like, that's that's not necessarily, I mean, that's always great. Obviously you want to get to that point where like all your books are like, you know, B.E. Schwab doing great. <laughs> like she had like a, she had an interview where she was like gallant is like, like um, like a totally weird book but she could publish it now and it would be a bestseller because of the you know book she's written before and I was like oh yes that is the dream um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, um, but I was talking to my friend and I was like like I just sometimes I just want to write like a you know, a, a contemporary book where nothing happens, but I'm, I'm happy. Cause they're talking about like sheep. Like she's yeah. like, what yeah. like a sell. <laughs> What are you talking about? I was like, but that would make me happy. I love like descriptions of sh- pastures, And she was like, uh, what? I we're really like having this like <laughs> funny conversation. But like, I think that also is something that we writers love. Like we're not trying, we don't write necessarily for audience all the time. Like there is a part of you that's like, okay, we have to write to like sell to like, published. Right. And I do think girls, mm-hmm. very commercial book, even though people told me in the, even though a ton of editors told me it wasn't commercial, I was like, why? It's like it's a <laughs> commercial. Yeah. It's like a fantasy retelling. That's like the most commercial thing ever. Seriously, um, yeah. But, um, I was also thinking like, not every book has to be like a big commercial book. It can be, it can be what it's supposed to be. And it, that's fine too. And that's mm-hmm. right. And I think, yeah. um, like it'll find its audience who will love it and that's what matters sort of thing I mean that's maybe just me being like I'm such a writer without like (laughs) a writer without um those sort of you know I don't want to sound pretentious or anything like that but um no you don't sound pretentious at all um
0: yeah yeah, it totally makes sense what you're saying but there's like I think we all started writing when Mm -hmm. we're when we were children because we just enjoyed writing we enjoyed daydreaming different worlds we enjoyed inventing things and that never leaves you and I think if you can like try to connect with that even once you are are published and all of the pressures of market and everything come into it if you can keep that one kind of part of yourself safe from everything else like you just have the sacred space in you that is just about I actually love writing. Like sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Yeah, I really love writing because I get anxious about everything. Well, and then I'm like, no, no, but, you know, before the anxiety happened, before any of that, this this was like a safe place for you, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it's, it's great because I love, because I've talked to podcasters who are not writers, but I feel like you guys are writers and you're specifically writers who like honor this sort of things too. So I feel safe to like talk about this sort of stuff with you guys too. Cause I was like, I was really excited to go on this podcast. I was like, Haley and Lindsay, I feel like we're the same type of like, we love writing. We love books. We love craft. And I was like, "This is going to be so much fun. Um, and it is. So thank you guys so much for having me on here. Yay! Oh, thank, thank you for so sharing your
0: you wisdom guys. with us. Oh, such a great conversation. So, so It great. was so great. And I just loved Girls so much. I got, I had to get the ebook because of it. If I order a book here, yeah, it will take like a month to arrive. So I read the ebook, but I want to get the actual hardcover or maybe I'll get the UK
1: it's gorgeous. Oh, they're both, they're both, the UK they're cover, they're, the
0: red <gasps> thread so, has this. Oh my like, god! Sign to it. It is so beautiful. Yeah, I just—it's beautiful inside, beautiful outside. I absolutely loved everything about it, and it's been so cool talking to you about it. Thank you so much for listening to Story of the Book. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Or give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, stay safe and keep writing. Bye! Bye.